HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. America. From border to border, coast to coast, and all the ships at sea. Streaming live from the County of Kings, Brooklyn, New York City, on the Heritage Radio Network. Are you ready for the fastest half hour on the internet today? It's the Mike and Judy Show. Spanning the globe for high-minded hijinks and low-brow kicks to bring you the best in sex, drugs, rock and roll, and nuclear fission. They're too bad for radio and too good-looking for television. And now, here they are, the Nichols and May of the Now Generation, your hosts, Mike Edison and Judy McGuire. <laughs> Hello, Judy. <laughs> It's the Mike and Judy Show, back one more time from Roberta's here in Bushwick, streaming live on the Heritage Radio Network, and we're laughing because our two esteemed guests today... Uh, Just Joe, cracked up. <laughs> Joe Nichols Gard, and May of the now generation. <laughs> Joe Garden so and, awesome. and Todd Ants are the only two guests we have. We even know who Nichols and May are. <laughs> we need to start skewing older. So, so before oh, we get, so before we get to the guys, old. though, uh, Judy McGuire, my co-hostess with the mostest, you came here today with a bit of a bee in your bonnet. I think some nasty punk rocker kind of uh, crossed you somehow this morning. It's Joe Strummer's birthday, right? I love Joe Strummer. I was a huge Clash fan. I still am, even though, you know, they're not around a million years. But yeah, interviewing Joe Strummer was pretty much the highlight of my music writing career. And um, so when he died, I let our friend John Holmstrom at Punk Magazine run the entire interview, which was it was really, I mean, I, I took so much of this guy's time, and he couldn't have been nicer. And I was, like, practically crying. He hugged me. It was, it's a really good interview. It's the best thing I've ever 
best interview I'm I've ever done. I'm going to start crying now. You I, are, I know. I'm, I'm getting teary. But so some punk, some stupid punk website today to stupid honor... punks. Goddamn punks. <laughs> um, <laughs> was honoring Joe Strummer's, um, you know, 59th, what would have been his 59th birthday and said, oh, you know, there's this interview. It's written by this fangirl, but despite that, it's really well fan written girl? and insightful. I, I, I copped to being a fangirl. A girl wrote something insightful? <laughs> I know. It's, it's like a girl would be funny. Uh, right? A fangirl? A, fa- a fan wrote something insightful? Judy McGuire is a professional motherfucking journalist. Okay, she's well, on top of her class. Fangirl, please. I, I, I was a, like a mouth-breathing fangirl in, the, in this interview. I And I told him that. I loved, I was like, I love you so much. It was, it was kind of embarrassing. Wait, but wait, sweet. wait, wait, wait. There's, just because you're a fan, doesn't make you a quote-unquote fangirl. I mean, we're all dorks. It's just a matter of degree. But I think not being a fan would be the real crime. I mean, people who are jaded, music, music journalists, who are not impressed by the people or that they're talking people, to. It's, it's weird. So sometimes you read reviews of records or movies or TV shows or whatever, you know, like in magazine, and, and the person just doesn't even seem like the kind of person who even wants to be watching the TV show. And it's right. Like, yeah, you're, if so you're cool. only watching it because like it's your job and you're just like, ah, I really would rather be doing something else with my time, so I'm going to write a negative review of this. It's just like... If you, if you know, you know, I, supposedly that's an objective opinion, but it's, I don't think it's objective. I think it's just an opinion from a disinterested person who yeah, like doesn't I have anything to say about the subject. I'd much rather read something by a fan than by just a, I think a non-fan. Pl- plenty of time you know? for a dispassionate presentation of the news and trying to be objective and taking it from no, the but you're place. not trying to be but, objective. But, 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 you're talking but, but, about but, Joe Strummer. Exactly. I mean, I didn't hire... Yeah, it's a motherfucking class. Yeah. That's right. That's right. All right, so uh, the guys from The Onion today. I'm, like, thrilled. Everybody loves this is very The exciting. Onion. This is great. So uh, Joe Garden um, is the features editor of The Onion and also the author of... A uh, bunch of uh, cash quickly, <laughs> cash and quickly. We books. Uh, hey, if, if, there's, uh, if you want a book written fast, call Action Five. We are very good. Hilarity written on demand while you wait. <laughs> hey, um, call in now. You can have the book done by the time the show is over. Yeah, I've got, uh, my, but, I've got my ThinkPad with me. I can. But, but your books are actually very funny. The Dangerous Book for Dogs, The Devious Book for Cats, and the New Vampire Handbook. There's not a trend that you do not miss. <laughs> They're great for nieces, nephews, uh, aunts. People you don't really know that well. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, but what could I get like this book for my cat? Was no, but cat these are really funny books. Yeah. I know they are. They're great. And Todd Hansen, of course, is a longtime uh, writer for The Onion, but is also the voice of Dan Halen on Squidbillies, which can be heard on Adult Swim on the Cartoon Network. <laughs> That's a great gig. How do you get a gig doing a voiceover on the I, Cartoon I met Network? The, I met those guys uh, through, uh, through being a fan of space. Being a fan. Become, coming yeah, up to see? him and going, oh, my God, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> hey, when I... When, um, when I when I first met them, I you know was flipping out. But you also wrote a Space Ghost episode. Well, I worked. One, right? I, I went down to Atlanta and worked with them a couple different times on some scripts. But what's, only what's, one what's, only one actually got uh, through, and I think it was only aired once. It was like the different version of Aqua Teen Hunger Force that didn't end up being ever made, except in that one time. So, what's Space Ghost really like? Space Ghost. <laughs> the guys that do Space Ghost is written backwards. That's the that's the reason it's so weird. I I watched it for years before I understood like even what it was. You know, like I was like, how do they even write it? Like it's so bizarre. Mm-hmm. You have to. Well, it's funny too because it made me like uh, it made me really uh, watching Space Ghost made me hate Dennis Leary even more because there's this whole episode where he's like uh, he's like well you know I'm only doing this I don't really like your show I'm only doing this because uh, my kids like it. And uh, the response was, so the feelings of your stupid kids are more important than mine. <laughs> such a great, like, such a great, I was like, I hate this theory and I love Space Ghost. <laughs> well, Space Ghost has been very dismissive of some of his guests. Oh, my God. I, c- I couldn't believe what they, that show was really punk rock speaking of punks that i thought that show was punk rock because they would put things on the air that you couldn't believe that they did like they like they had their interview with goldie hahn 
she Goldie Hawn comes down, and and but and before she her interview comes down. Um, and for those either, people who haven't seen Space Ghost, yeah. just to understand that Space Ghost is an animated uh, talk show host. Yeah, and he's talking to a to a, a, a TV image of a video interview of a celebrity, and and anyway, her interview, you know, she comes down, but before either before either right before or right after, he just introduces this the band, um, Zorak, w- w- which <laughs> the, the band is identified as the Beatles, but it's actually <laughs> it's actually the band Pavement, and they just do an improvised like noise jam. <laughs> The entire time that Joe Goldie Hawn is talking, <laughs> and and all that Space Ghost does is just yell at Goldie Hawn and go, "What? I can't hear you, Goldie Hawn. I can't hear you over the sound of the Beatles." There's just not enough conceptual talk shows. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, it was just so hilarious. I mean, how funny is that? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, uh, that's why, and that's the thing we're fanboys for. We're total fanboys for the uh, for the comedy nerd stuff. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you guys about. Um, and for Joe Strummer. <laughs> I, I would have I would have shit myself if I had uh, if I met Joe Strummer. Luckily, I, I had evacuated prior to meeting him. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about being funny on demand. Like I find it That's can be very it, challenging. In the business, we call that FOD. Uh, funny <laughs> on demand. Uh, it's yeah, it's kind of weird. It's just like we, you know, you just basically you don't. I when I write things, I'm like this works structurally as a joke. <laughs> and then it's like how well it goes over is just like you know oh this didn't work this worked and it's like okay okay yeah, but you guys have been amazingly consistent at the yeah. onion I mean that's what I think well, wait, are so we popular. talking about the onion or action five because I'm not in action five no we're talking about the onion I could never pull off action five <laughs> I can't believe you do that like, I don't have the, the ability or, or to, be, just, or just, to be funny on demand in that way or just being funny on demand when you have a deadline when Dude, you have I, I barely can fucking handle that like, yeah. it's but really, you do honestly. you've done it for like you know you've done it for 20 years I've done yeah. it for, like badly for 20 years though. like <laughs> deadlines I've done badly for 20 years yeah I, but you, it's funny because like I can't do it like I can not function it unless there's a huge uh, deadline looming in front of me oh I, I can't, can't function at all without them but yeah. I'm saying I just barely function mm-hmm. even with them <laughs> yeah so you guys have been working together for how long got 18 years now. oh a long time man wow. long time yeah, I, I, I met Joe Garden. You want to know how I, who he was before? To me, before he was an onion person, he was the guy dressed in a freaky bug head, <laughs> like a big in, weird insect head, like a, like one of the residents or something. That was made. He kind of looked like early Devo because it was like a stocking cap stuck over his tied like a, over his head, but it also had like insect googly eyes attached and to he it. He was coming through your window. No, no, he wasn't coming through my window, but he was coming on stage at a Pachinko show, and I, and and uh, Pachinko was a punk rock band and. Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, and Pachinko comes out and <laughs> starts playing, and uh, I mean, but before they do, this weird man in this bug head and a bathrobe <laughs> walks out on stage and says, and says, "Ladies and gentlemen, you know, whatever bombastic intro it was that he said," and then he goes, "Pachinko," and then Pachinko starts like you know, super loud, big noise, and then the dude whips off the robe. He's buck naked except for the freaky insect head, and he just like. Dances around the stage while the band is playing, yeah. and and I was like, that is the most punk rock thing I've ever seen in my life. The pachinko hype man. <laughs> yeah. Like, Where's YouTube when I really need it? <laughs> I don't. I don't geez, was any of that footage ever uploaded to YouTube? Erwood, no. Erwood, uh, there was a guy that ran. Uh, well, this is not a. He ran OK's Corral. He had like shot uh, almost every concert that was there, and then he lost it in a fire, uh, which was yeah. a great like it was. It would have been a great archive of like the noise. Yeah, that was the punk that, scene of the early to mid nineties. Right. It really was, was, was a the, total was loss. Onion born out of like a punk rock scene? Well, no, it was born out of like a countercultural nerd scene. It was born out of a slacker nerd scene that overlapped with 
punk rock and also overlapped with many other things in Madison. Yeah, I don't know how punk rock it was when it started. No, I mean, there was a certain, there was a punk ethos because they were just like, you know, they were basically making fun of every other, I mean, Madison at the time had all these like, you know, free alternative weeklies, free socialist weeklies, free musical weeklies or whatever, and then they were just like the free fuck you weekly. Um, (laughs) They just did not care and they were just like basically making fun of every other publication and you know mm-hmm. they were they were sort of they were anarchists in that respect, but they were also like money making anarchists. So they were libertarians, I guess. The thing that you have to understand when you talk about libertarians the, meaning like Republicans who smoke pot. <laughs> when you talk about where the onion came from, you're talking about two different worlds, two entirely different worlds: the business side and the creative side. And they they didn't really didn't have anything to do with each other. So when you're talking about who started it, I mean the fir- the very first year that it was the same people, but then. One one year later, uh, one guy named Scott Dickers bought it, and one guy named Pete Heisey bought it, and their their deal was that I have total control over creative, and you have total control over the money, and they're not going to overlap at all. And that lasted for like fifteen years, and then finally, like I think they couldn't stand each other, but uh, or ten years or something like that. That I, seems like a good plan, though, for a publication well, for the it, business side the, to keep the hell out of the creative side, which never seems to happen. It's supposed to be church and state, right? Yeah, right. But they never. It are. never happens. Yes, yeah. something you know. It's yeah. It's, it's really, very idealized to think that that can exist. But it really did exist at at the Onion for many, many, many years, and 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 that is why the Onion is what it is. Right. What? I mean, is that fair to say? Like, it wouldn't even be different than normal comedy if if it hadn't had been for that freedom to be. Yeah, we had. I mean, the thing is, we had a lot of freedom to do things like put naked uh, another back to Joe nudity, like naked me on the cover. Uh, (laughs) Wow! It was actually uh, it was buried inside. It was not a it was not a a pretty picture. I didn't. uh, (laughs) But it was. uh, But there was that. There was also uh, you know all these crazy. You know, we did all kinds of weird conceptual covers, like the uh, the little onion golden book uh, cover. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was just. It was. I don't know. It was a unique situation that doesn't. It wouldn't have happened if it, if it was in New York or if it was in L.A. or if it was part of the entertainment industry. It happened because it was outside. Right. So it wasn't from a punk rock scene. Mm-hmm. I, won't, I won't say The Onion grew out of a punk rock scene, but everybody who was writing there was into punk rock yeah. at one point or another in their lives. And, and um, uh, at least, you know, the writers. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and it really was an underground publication is what I'm saying. It was underground. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't part of any scene, any, any publishing scene, because we didn't know anybody right. at all. Like yeah. when I met the, you know, his name is Dave Willis. I met, he also created Aqua Teen Hunger Force with Matt Malero, who also worked on Space Ghost. And, and when I met him, I was a total mouth breathing fan. It was like you meeting Joe Strummer. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I hadn't met anyone. So I was like, holy fuck, I can't believe it's that Space <laughs> Ghost guy. We didn't know anybody. We were totally underground. So what were some of the early formative uh, stories or headlines that you loved that you thought got you widespread attention? Was there something that broke you guys out um, into the world? Well, I think it was just the invention of the internet and the intelligence of somebody to put it up on the internet. Yeah. I think I know the one, I can say, I can pinpoint the story that actually broke us out and got more national conscious, like started to be the first thing we got in national consciousness because it was right at the beginning of the internet. Somebody actually transcribed and started email forwarding this article we wrote, uh, Clinton deploys vowels to Bosnia. Rob Siegel. Yeah, Rob Siegel's story. <laughs> and, uh, but somebody, like people were like, like, Somebody typed it in and it started getting forwarded and forwarded and forwarded and it was like... Somebody, but it wasn't accredited. It wasn't accredited. No, it was like it, like somebody published it. It was just a it, meme with no name. Yeah. They it didn't pub- have the onion on it. it they was published just it in the baffler. They, not the baffler, but the uh, oh, the realist. Uh, our, yeah. our engineer Carlos is uh, putting up the big flag. It says, we have a guest call in. Oh Who could gosh. it be? I don't know. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Hi, I'm Janet. I'm a first-time listener, last-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> this Janet sounds oddly familiar. Might you know her, Joe? I've, I've, I'm familiar with Janet Ginsburg. Is, is that, that is you? This is Janet Action that, five, uh, Jan, number three of Action Five Ginsburg. 
Number three? Number one? Oh, are you number one? Do you, have you assigned numbers to the Action Five? The Action Five is you, Anita, Janet. We're all number well, one. Well, why don't you tell us what the Action Five is? Action Five is the writing collective we have. It's me and Janet, uh, my wife, uh, my friend and co-author, Chris Pauls, and my friend and co-author, uh, uh, Scott Sherman. And that's where we wrote books, and we've written other, other various projects. And we keep on fishing around. It's funny, because we... Uh, Anyway, I'm gonna Janet. Do you want to tell? Like, I'm gonna tell the story of how we uh, got the cat book after the dog book. Oh, I think you should tell it. Um, we we wrote first. We wrote like we were we approached to do the uh, the dangerous book for dogs, and we wrote it in five weeks. And I have no. I do, I look back. I do not remember those five weeks at all. I have no idea how we did it because we were also working on all this other stuff. Um, and then we, we. I can tell. I can tell everyone how we did it. <laughs> the little country called China. <laughs> <laughs> We subcontracted all of our writing to China, uh, but we then the, like the next thing we we came up with this we were like, well, what's our follow up project? We've got a lot of goodwill right now. We're really going to go and we're going to the, the iron is hot. You know, we've got this book. It's kind of successful. So let's see if we can do another book. And so we wrote this uh, we wrote this treatment for this thing called Alan Durbin, my my seventy years in television. And we're like, this is hilarious. <laughs> this is like the best. It's like basically the it had uh, you know uh, he was a sort of it had sex drugs. It had an old doddering man. Yeah, it was, we were we were big fans of it. Yeah, a lot of bicentennial. Oh jokes. wow, this sounds fantastic. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> and then uh, so when we took it to them, and our agent was like, "Well, this is really funny. I don't know if we can sell it though." And then they took it to the editor, and he's like, "Boy, this is really funny. I don't know if we can sell it though. How do you feel about a cat book?" <laughs> and we're just like, it's oh, not, it's so amazing God. that like the, that that whole big decision in your life was made by someone in like three seconds of thinking about it. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you know what I mean? Like someone just approached him and they showed it to him and they go, hmm, I'm going to think about this for three seconds. Yeah, how about cat book? <laughs> so you used like three seconds of their decision-making time and they used like, like you know, months and months of your life and to, creative, creative life to, in doing so. To be fair, he actually did like send it to some other people in the company and yeah. they were like, nope. They give them uh, their three <laughs> seconds. I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, Janet, stay on the line. We're going to take a break. Uh, Judy, what we have happening here on our break today? We have um, a Clash song. We have White Man and Hammersmith Palais. It's my favorite Clash song. All right. Me too. Happy birthday, oh. Joe Strummel. the Mike and Judy show. Stay uh, on the line, God and Janet. Janet. On the line. We'll yep. be back in a minute. All right, we're, we're back on the Mike and Judy show. It's Mike Edison with Judy McGuire, the woman who is too hot for television, and our esteemed guest today, Joe Garden and Todd Hansen of The Onion. And our guest calling, uh, our calling guest, Janet Ginsburg, who is part of Action Five. Action Five. Janet, how do you think like a dog? Tell us the secret. 
Well, you know, can I can I just point out one thing before before that? I think I'm kind of the missing link between between uh, pornography and comedy that's uniting this whole. <laughs> we're so glad well, you I brought gonna, that up. I, I wanted to bring that up myself because Joe, when you were talking about how that f- that, that five weeks that you did that you did funny on demand uh-huh. of, as Action Five, that first five weeks that you deployed Action Five mm-hmm. as like a strike force team, and you don't even remember writing it because you're like in a, in a haze. <laughs> It reminded me of Edison's book where he talks about all the pornography that he wrote. He wrote novels. He wrote like 16 novels or more. I mean, I mean 20, 28 pornographic novels. 28 <laughs> novels. And, and that made me think Janet also has that in common because she, you did a lot of writing for Larry Flint, right? Yeah, well, and I think funny words are like the key, you know. Porn has a lot of funny words in it. Well, porn, yeah. the porn has to be funny. I think on, on the level that we're perpetrating it any, anyway, uh, yeah. printed porn as opposed to, uh, well, it's called pr- the printed word as opposed to photographs or movie yeah, pictures. Yeah, the printed word. I mean, the, the, prose. We're prose. talking about prose. <laughs> prose, that, that damn thing. Yes, yeah. the turn of phrase is very key. <laughs> Do either of you miss it? Do you ever think, ah, oh, man, I remember those days when I could write 35 pornographic novels. I used to write a novel a week. Yeah, you wrote a novel a week. Yeah, I I miss the productivity. It's pretty easy when you're like, okay, I know what's going to happen. Two guys and a girl have got a screw, then a girl and a girl, then a guy. You know, it's like, it's very easy to like hit the, get all the marks in time. The books that I was writing, we had plots. I mean, mean, give me a break. I mean, these were, you know, played in three acts like all great literature does. No, yeah, you're you're writing about that in in, uh, I Have Fun Everywhere. Ago is quite is quite touching actually when you talk about <laughs> well, th- thank about, about how you took to the craft of it. Thank you, Todd. Well, you know it's uh it's like this. Right, I'll tell everybody right now the whole secret to writing a porn novel. Okay, it's <laughs> Little Miss Muffet sat in her tuffet eating her curds and whey. It's a plot, conflict, and resolution. And the uh, set, right, and that's that's it. This is the premise rather um is Little Miss Muffet sitting on her tuffet eating her curds and whey. And along comes a spider. There's your conflict that scares Miss Muffet away. Okay, plot, conflict, and resolution. Now in the porn uh, books, of course, there's no a spider. I mean, the spider might end up, you know, blowing Miss Muffet <laughs> um, <laughs> um, instead of scaring her away. But basically, uh, it's the same a, thing. I think you just young, described like how to write a novel. Period. In a heterosexual porn book, and believe me, oh, yeah. we wrote them all. They say that the uh, the heroine, uh, let's call her Janet. <laughs> um, uh, very, very lovely, comely you you young girl. Punk rock. Very, very, very that, virginal uh, young woman. Of course, all the boys want. Uh, Janet, the, the character. The character, Janet, yes, yes of yes, course. The character. I, like, Janet. I like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. And, but she's not, she's not giving it up, not for nothing. Maybe, maybe, maybe first base, maybe a second base, maybe a fumbling blowjob here or there. And then out in the back of Mrs. McCleary's barn or, or in Zach's hot rod, she finally gives it up. And then you know what happens? She just can't get enough. <laughs> and we're off to the race. And that's the storyline? There, there you have it. Premise, conflict, and resolution. Yeah. So the pre- I did premises- a lot of articles, ra- articles rather than, uh, than novels. And I can say that really where I shine was like the genre fiction aspect of porn. So for me, it was like, oh, I'm going to do sci-fi this week. And, you know, I had like an alien female scientist sent to Earth to study human sexuality who discovered a use. She discovered the first documented sexual use for the human anus. <laughs> <laughs> Janet, I'm so jealous of you. And then I had, like, you know, there was a spy novel with, like, exploding <laughs> butt beads and a sheik. So there's lots of different, like, you know, that's really what I miss. Is there that, was a sheik? That's I, the I'm, sheik. I, I, I wrote a sheik book. I wrote, I did, that was a white slavery book. I did a lot of wrestling porn. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. I think, beautiful cross I think that right the cross section that porn. is even wrestling porn it but, wouldn't exist well, if it, it you my, hadn't been born. It was my, right? it, Didn't you invent wrestling it was, porn? It was, my, it was my first um, homosexual book that I had to write. Uh, we all wrote everything, and um, I was handed a book called uh, His Black Boyfriend. I would get the titles while I was writing. So you had to write racist this, and homo not and racist, interracial. <laughs> interracial. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> um, and it was basically based on the beautiful chiaroscuro of the white man and the black man and the white living man's. together in, in gay brotherhood. In gay brotherhood. Well, well, that's, well, like well, well I, I didn't know what to write. That sounds first. noble. Man, dink. I, I didn't. I, 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 no, Rus- no, WrestleMania one. Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. Because when oh my I, god, when I got the assignment, I didn't know what to do, and I said, I said, boss, you know, I don't really know. Okay, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not, not a really, gay dude. I'm not I'm, really your guy to write yeah. this. And he said to me, "Look, Edison, everybody here writes everything, so you got a hole and you got a pole. Now shut the fuck up and sit down and write your book." <laughs> oh my god! And I, and I just sort of sat there until I said, "Oh yeah, Mr. T, Hulk Hogan, this is gonna be <laughs> his black boyfriend." And of course, they're too busy cornholing each other when they should be training for the match. And you know, and then, I, yeah. I hope they actually know that they were the inspiration but, behind this. I, I think if you maybe have someday this will but, somehow but, get forwarded. But say, saying that, you know, Janet, on the future internet to one of their descendants, <laughs> like they'll get a link <laughs> with this so file. But saying that, and I'm so like, jealous. Oh my god, Grandpa! I'm so jealous of Janet because we were never allowed to write anything that couldn't really happen. In other words, I was not. <laughs> yes. I know. But, but there were no there were rules against extraterrestrials. We mm. a, I was given a talking to. Nobody comes from outer space to oh, have sex with Earth people because it's too far out. And um, well, no, no, that's a big Mike, mistake. I think you'll appreciate why that story actually happened because they were getting so cheap at Hustler. They were like, you can't use new photo sets, so you've got to use old photo sets to illustrate of everything. Of course, like the magazine's been you know running for like thirty years, so I was like, mm, look at these nineteen eighties photos of a woman straddling a leather couch. <laughs> right. and, and the couch was kind of amorphous and it looked sort of alien, so I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll just she looks like she's from outer space. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to write that. Let me throw this out to you guys. How much pot smoking is involved in being funny at The Onion and in pornography, Janet? So let's go with Joe first. <laughs> uh, none. I actually don't. Uh, I, I did. Um, and maybe once in a while, but I really don't. I just like, uh, I find that I just, you know, if I try to mix that with creativity, it just sort of like, it just trails off and, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't oh, help well, at all. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not uh, for me. I was always much more of a stoner than I was a drinker, <laughs> but I was never like uh, creatively, like, uh, like, st- like, like getting high was never the responsible thing for me to do to get creative. Like, you know, yeah, you know I was, yeah, I would, uh, and, and, um. Okay, this question has yeah. no legs. <laughs> We're not going to do a potcalypse too today. No, it's not going to be like a big pro pot speech for me because I because I mean I'm I, I like pot you know I like more than alcohol but I'm I, it doesn't help me get shit done. Let me put it that yeah, way. It just helps me go to sleep. Yeah, but the main thing is though you got to be funny every day and you got to find your inspiration somewhere. You're finding it in the daily news. You're finding it in the TV. You're just twisting I, it. Or you're finding it in the absurdity. Just finding it in the world. I, in misery. I think most of it, <laughs> for me, just came from just daily misery. Yeah, just daily looking misery. At how, that like, is a big one. That's, that, that'll help, that'll help you write that, comedy you know, a lot more bad than... bad things start to happen. <laughs> daily misery will help you write comedy a lot more than getting high will. That's for sure. <laughs> right. The, like, <laughs> the, the 9-11 <laughs> issue of The Onion, when 9-11 happened, the issue you guys did right after that, that was, like, the best thing I've ever seen written on... I mean, I didn't think there was a way to make it funny, but and you that did. came from a lot of misery. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that was a, everybody was miserable. How could I, they not be? It's funny because I remember that that meeting was the longest meeting we've ever had at the Onion. It was about eight hours. It was like a lot of like people were really 
you know, we were really uh, upset. We were weren't like I was. Everybody sure sitting in the room thing. was freaking out right. because yeah. they just seen three thousand people get mass murdered right in front of them live. I mean, that's that applies to everyone in the nation, for that matter. But I mean, especially if you lived in New York and you could look out your window. Yeah. And um, so, and what do you do? And how do you even approach that? It's like. You can't just not publish that week. Well, yeah. we didn't publish that week. Yeah, they published uh, we, well, the we, week after. Well, we published right? the week yeah. after. Okay, because yeah. you can't not. Well, we not couldn't publish that week. We really, I mean, realistically, we couldn't because we couldn't get like we weren't. You yeah. know, you weren't supposed to go to Manhattan. So yeah. uh, for the first like uh, for the first four days. So yeah, um, we you know I think what we the, what, the way the angle we took is just like we just sort of talked about the and why it was why it was successful. Is that it talked about like the way people were feeling? Like it wasn't about like it wasn't about like uh, you know oh we're gonna get them. It was like just this general the 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 new sort of uh, sense of malaise and sort of anxiety and you know general uh, you know just, just everybody vulnerability. Out. Yeah, it was like the new vulnerability because like you know you grow up with the United States is uh, is the the premier world power and suddenly it's like oh this I is- wasn't thinking anything as complicated as that. I was just like walking around going, holy shit, a whole fucking thing. A bunch of people just got murdered right in front of my fucking face. I just watched a giant building yeah. fall. Yeah. I mean, I, re- I was actually still right. in I mean, LA right. at the time and I remember my friend came over and we're like, well, nothing's happened here yet but we're all gonna die so we'd better go to the grocery store and I went and I was like, I'm gonna put like four boxes of donuts on credit because I'm never gonna have to pay for them. I'm gonna die. So like, you know, now I find all that hilarious because I really did buy strange, strange stuff like thinking that it was the end and I, that's what I should be eating to like wait out, you yeah. know, the end of the world. So I mean, it's, so I think that a lot of the humor and I didn't work on that issue but I thought it was brilliant. I think a lot of the humor just came from you know, finding the strange things you find yourself thinking and doing in a situation like that. Yeah. Well, one thing that Joe didn't mention is that I mean we've told this story many times in other places but when we sat down to try to do an issue we just assumed it was unspoken we just assumed everyone assumed we would do no jokes about the World Trade Center right. and there was nothing funny about that at all and we're okay we're sitting down there freaked out and we're like okay how do we do it I guess we could I guess we got to do uh, you know something that has nothing to do with the news at all you know, and so we started trying to work on that issue, and we couldn't do it because mm. nobody we, could think of anything else. Because nobody could think of anything else, and we right. ended up deciding to do the entire issue all on one subject, which is something we've almost never done. There's right. only a few times that's ha- that that has happened, and it was like all the every everything was all about that because we're like we can't talk about anything else. We can't even think about anything else. Yeah, that was really that was really impressive. But yeah. we did not set out to be like we're going to be funny now. We didn't feel funny. We didn't want to be. No. Making jokes about World Trade Center? I, yeah, I actually assumed that this was going to be the exact opposite. I, th- I, I yeah. thought that what was going to happen is people were going to read this and we were going to be run out of New York on the rails. Yeah, like, I, you, I really, you were, yeah, I was terrified that that would happen. Well, Everybody ten, needed it, though. Absolutely. It's 10 years later. We're coming up to the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Mm-hmm. What do you guys have planned for this? Because now there are funny things to make fun of, and I'm not talking about the event itself, right. but the hangover it and the way the infighting well, among people. And who's and, being invited? And, and, like, J-Lo's invited, uh, but, like, the survivors it's aren't. A, it's a big crap. fucking catty mess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, seriously, it's a big catty mess, and there's still a hole in the ground, basically, because no one can get their shit together. Well, the they build a building, and the Port Authority of New York is fighting with the Port Authority of New Jersey, mm-hmm. and Fatso Governor Christie is fighting with, with Bloomberg, and J-Lo? No, huh? okay, I, I'm just saying huh? a celebrity. I don't know yeah. that J-Lo is yeah. invited. But yeah, probably she is. She probably is. <laughs> Well, she's uh, a survivor. <laughs> she's a survivor in her own way. She, Come on, uh, she give her me. some. What about her needs? She helped me get through the whole society. Thing. You know, the great thing about a, a, a tragedy uh, is that um, the only great thing about a tragedy is the way that it can help us to realize, you know, what's important in life. 
And so hopefully people will be reminded about the existence of J-Lo. <laughs> her career will in some way be boosted. Be boosted slightly from wherever it is now. Maybe it'll even bring her and Mark Anthony back together. Oh, Fingers wouldn't that be sweet? That would that be good. And maybe they crossed. come back together on the Mike and Judy show. Oh, my God. <laughs> Call their publicist. <laughs> this is good. Wow, I cannot believe how fast. This is the, the fastest half hour in the history of the internet. definitely is. It has been Woo! absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, take that, Rachel Kramer Brussel. Woo! Oh, <laughs> yeah! Just kidding. No, we've no never, this <laughs> in our past guests. I know. I'm just saying. I'm, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Never, we don't have no policy about not this past <laughs> guests. All right, then. Come on. on. Edison has no policy about not dissing anyone. (laughs) He dissed dissed our guest one week. Uh, well, who just recorded a Edison record. Edison will just everyone. That's part of his ethos. That's not true. Yes. I'm the one bringing the sunshine to this operation. Oh, we had, we, my, we had Reed Paleon, who just did a record with Black Francis from the Pixies. Mr. Grump, the day of his birthday, was like, fucking Pixies suck. <laughs> <laughs> Could you not? He doesn't like the Beatles. Get him talking about the Beatles. He'll go on and on about how much the Beatles suck. And that's part of the problem with the Pixies, though, is they use these, like, Beatles chord changes I don't like. Like, Stone chord wanna... changes, you know? It's just not a sound that I <laughs> Somebody's take. threatening so a boycott if we keep dissing the Beatles. I just It's on our Facebook Ooh, page. Really? Yeah. Someone's threatening yeah. a boycott? Good, fuck them. Uh, <laughs> <call them. laughs> Oh man, I got it. Oh, I don't believe what I'm hearing. <laughs> Jack, where are you calling from? You're like really like down the street. Why don't you just come I mean, they're by? Okay, they're like you know they're all right, whatever. Jack, you're like just down the street, right? You're like calling from like a like a payphone at the corner or something. Right? <laughs> you know what? I will be because I have a practice right around. I just found out where you guys are, and I'll be there. I'll be there at five. Band practice? Yeah, yes. she's got she's in her punk rock band is going to be playing. Okay. I think it's morphing into a doom metal band against my will, but what are you going to do? <laughs> that's, good. that's good because the world's got enough punk rock bands. Yeah, we need more doom metal bands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you, can yeah, you be I, I just wrote a new song after I saw Rise of the Planet of the Apes yesterday. So. Oh, that's always good. You know. That's good inspiration. That's good. What song would that be? Uh, I, so far, it's just called Man is an Upright Animal. That's all I have. Man for oh. So far, it's called Untitled uh, uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes inspired project. <laughs> Subtitle number one. It's about the barbarian rise of human beings, not apes. Is, uh, uh, is the phrase Damn Dirty Ape going to be in there? Or maybe No, that was in another song I wrote like seven years ago in the Hestons. You remember me telling you about the Hestons? I've heard a, of the Hestons. The Hestons had a song called Damn You Dirty Ape, I Think I Love You. <laughs> but. <laughs> All right. That's now, all history. <laughs> we will look forward to your uh, glue metal band. Maybe you can come on for our uh, special 9-11 oh. show and entertain us with that. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> all right. It's been another amazing Mike and Judy show. It's Mike Edison with Judy McGuire and our guest Joe Garden, Todd Hanson, The Onion, and, of course, the irrepressible Janet Ginsburg via voice <laughs> transfer <laughs> protocol. Janet, you got to come down and be on the show for realsies one time, okay? Yeah, absolutely. All right, then. Thanks a lot, you guys. Right, See you guys thanks. next right. Thank you very much for having us. I had a great time. Pirates, yes they rob I Sold I to the merchant ships Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pit But my hand was made strong By the hand of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever had
Summer Soul Shindig Rockaway Beach Party featuring the 45 RPM soul magic of DJ Jonathan Tobin. Saturday, August 20th, 6 to 9 at Rippers, Boardwalk 86. Free party.